Welcome to the All or Nothing podcast, where we bring to you companies that are here to change the game. And I'm the host, Rodrigo Ballone. This episode, we have a guest that has revolutionized how companies buy and sell organic food. Let's welcome the founder and CEO of Mercaris, Kelly James. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Rodrigo. Doing well. It's great to have you on. Early in your career, you jumped into financial services, and you worked at companies like the World Bank and the Chicago Climate Exchange. Starting out, what interests you about those roles, and what was your mentality going in? Well, so I think that um, it's interesting. In Mercaris, you'll see how I think hopefully there's a theme to what I've, I've been trying to do with my career, but mostly I've been interested in the, the intersection of finance or, or market mechanisms and environmental or social performance. So it's the way that we can put a value on things like clean air and water and energy and, and food production. Um, it gives them a, a financial value in the marketplace, uh, which will hopefully encourage people to do more of those things that produce those environmental uh, or social uh, goods. The World Bank was one way of approaching that uh, big, big bureaucratic institution. Chicago Climate Change was a small startup, um, and I've kind of found my niche in the in the startup world. Uh, and the, and Mercaris is a, the next iteration of that. Well, you spent a few years at the Chicago Climate Exchange, and that world has a lot going on. As an economist, your role played an important part when it came to gathering information and using it to make decisions. What are some things you picked up in that environment that you were able to apply later on? Well, I think that, um, you know, the it's, it's this cliche about startups, no matter what type of, uh, what market they're focused on, is that you do wear a lot of hats. And so... You know, while my title was economist, it, it, it encompassed a broad scope of work, um, everything from, you know, some marketing and sales initiatives to uh, some of the, the the background work to, you know, create contracts that could be traded, um, you know, a little bit of everything, even some policy work um, here and there. So um, really the lesson learned was, to, you know, to make something new work, you've got to you get in and, and be able to uh, wear many hats and work on multiple different projects and look at things from multiple different angles all at the same time. After your time there, you were appointed by President Obama to be a White House fellow, which is a role where you worked with the White House staff and got some firsthand experience in regards to the process of running this country. I'm sure it was an honor to get that opportunity, but going in, what were you looking to gain from that type of experience? Uh, it was really an incredible experience. Um, you know, I went in because, like I said, I've been working on climate change and carbon markets from a um, sort of from a, a, a startup private sector uh, experience perspective, and then um, was you know thought it would be a great chance to look at at the time climate change legislation was you know was, we had hoped it was going to pass, um, and I had also gotten involved in the Obama campaign and some you know get out the vote type uh, efforts. So it, to me, it was just a once-in-a-lifetime chance to get in and work, you know, under um, someone who I really respected and, and admired, and and um, it was just, and I ended up working on a lot of things that were not necessarily climate-related. Um, so, for example, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill happened during my year there, and so I actually mm -hmm. ended up um, being very engaged in the administration's response to that, you know, crisis. So you never know what you're going to do when you go there. The idea was to get in there and be useful and, and you know do something that was uh, you know was positive and helpful, and that's what I that's what I tried to do. 
that's pretty cool, especially when you got to work on something as notable as the BP oil spill. But in regards to climate change, there's a lot of mixed feelings amongst the general public. Some people see it, they get it, and they know something needs to be done. But there's another group of people that don't even think it exists. So do you think the government is approaching the right and is taking the right steps? And we're at where we need to be when you talk about progress over the next decade or so? Oh, we're definitely not where we need to be, and it's unclear, you know, how we, we get there, especially in today's political, you know, climate and uncertainty. We, you know, we had made some progress under the Obama administration. I, I'm not sure how much of that will be preserved or furthered under the, the new administration. Um, you know, as a as a planet, there's some, you know, very tough problems ahead, and uh, it's, it's one of those key sort of existential questions or problems, um, but, um, but yeah, but I wish I had a better answer, but the answer is I, I just don't know right now what will happen. Shortly after your time at the White House, you founded a company called Mercaris, which is not only a market data service, but it's also a trading platform for organic and non-GMO commodities. So tell us, what sparked the idea and what initially were some of the key features you wanted to deliver to the market? So the initial idea was, again, it was related to this concept of uh, market mechanisms to improve environmental uh, attributes or performance. So um, agriculture is a, is a big industry, and it's, it's a, in some ways a very dirty industry. It, it creates a lot of pollution, um, and uh, there's no one perfect solution. It's a, agriculture overall is a complex system, but there's a method of production called organic that does take into account some of the externalities, soil health and water, water quality and, and farm worker safety, um, because you can't use chemical pesticides or chemical fertilizers uh, to produce uh, organic food. So um, if you notice, if you go to the grocery store, a lot of times organic food will carry a premium to conventional. And that goes all the way back to the raw ingredients or the, the commodities uh, that, that are uh, part of that you know, ingredients in that food. So what I wanted to do was create a, a, a market signal, a company that tracks market information about those uh, commodities and ingredients. It, it sounds a little bit strange, but in the organic sector, there's nowhere you can go for objective, um, up-to-the-minute information on, let's say, the price of organic corn or organic wheat. Um, you have to guess at it. You have to pick up the phone and call around and ask people what they think. Uh, and this is creating some some transaction costs and some barriers to entry that we thought we could remove if we provided an information service. So that's what Mercars became as, a, as an information and market data service for organic uh, agricultural commodities. And then at the same time, we listed a, we launched an electronic trading platform. So they kind of go hand in hand. You want good information about, let's say, the price of organic wheat. And uh, you, if you're a farmer, you may want to sell some of that wheat. Or if you're a flour mill, you may need to buy some of that wheat to mill into flour. And that's the other inefficiency is people were, you know, on the phone a lot trying to make those deals happen. And this lets people bring all of their business online and buy and sell um, more efficiently. So that's what Mercaris is, market data on one side and then trading on the other side to, to serve the organic uh, food supply chain. What I like about your platform is that it gives people in the agriculture business real-time data that could directly impact their bank accounts. Some of the biggest farmers and farmer markets in the U.S. right now are using your service. What are some of the reasons why this is a must-have product for them? So um, we have 
people, customers that are all along the supply chain. We have small family farms, uh, really small farms, you know, 50 or 100 or 100, 200 acres. Uh, we have large commercial farmers, uh, a couple, several thousand acres. And then we have um, each link of the supply chain. So uh, think about the organic uh, elevator or mill, um, the food processor who's like taking organic uh, flour and turning it into a, um, you know, a, a snack food. Uh, feed mills, so taking organic corn or soybeans and turning it into dairy, cow feed, or chicken feed. And then, you know, some vertically integrated food companies that encompass several links to the chain. And then we even have a retailer, uh, Whole Foods, which, you know, tracks prices because it impacts their bottom line. So it's, you can, all of our, our customers come up and, from up and down the supply chain. And they're, what they all have in common is they're using market information to make day-to-day -day decisions, like should I buy or should I sell uh, right now or should I hold on to my stocks uh, until later. Um, or they're using the platform directly to, to buy and sell to find, you know, find those customers, find those uh, suppliers, or, or you know, buy buy products or sell products. So uh, that's a little bit of a it's a it's a broad overview. There's some general, there's some very specific use cases that our customers have, but that's the general idea of having you know better information and a and a way to trade the products. Now your platform is pretty unique, and it impacts a lot of different people. Starting out, what demographic did you want to get on board first, and why? Well, actually, the first demographic we worked with were grain mills and elevators. And the reason is because we get a lot of our information from them. It was important to have their buy-in. They're, they're the sort of connective tissue um, of, the, uh, of the industry. So mills, elevators, um, some brokers, uh, they you know, can be buy or sell, uh, depending on what they're doing. And um, and so I would say, in a way, this was everybody had to come on board at the same time. But if I had to pick out one demographic that we started talking with first and kind of testing the idea with first, it would be it would be them. The demand for organic food is definitely growing, but one of the barriers for new customers right now is the high cost at their local supermarket. So, do you see a future with a platform like yours that allows the end user to purchase organic food directly from the farm? to help reduce that cost? You know, there are definitely startups out there that are doing that, and not just startups, but existing uh, community-supported ag programs that let you do that already. We are not consumer-facing, so our customers stop short of the, um, you know, grocery shopper. They are definitely businesses rather than the consumers, and I think there are other folks that are doing really interesting work in, um, you know, direct-to-consumer, farm-to-consumer type of um, type of work. I think that with Mercaris, what we seek to do is remove transaction costs. So the bushel of organic corn may always be, in fact, probably always that will be more expensive than the bushel of conventional corn because it takes into account the externalities, like I said, the things that the things that are that we view as harmful to the environment, uh, chemical pesticides, chemical fertilizers, and so it just costs more to produce a bushel of organic corn. But the sector has excess transaction costs that we think we can squeeze out of the system. So if organic corn costs more because um, people don't know what they should be paying or, you know, farmers can't get good insurance um, because no one has an idea of what the prices are, those are costs that we can squeeze out of the system and so, um, you know, make it a more, you know, so you see the real cost of the production of a, of a bushel of organic corn rather than all sorts of, um, you know, wasteful or excessive transaction costs. Not only do you have a game-changing product, 
but you were able to break through the noise and get your service into the hands of some of the biggest players in your industry. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that has a new product and is looking to acquire a new partner or a new customer? Um, yeah, so there's, it's, I don't know if uh, there's a magic formula. Like everything, it takes a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck. Um, but certainly you can help turn the luck in your direction by having a really solid product that works well. Um, when you go to the whole foods of the markets or um, general mills of the markets, you have to have something that really does meet their needs and that works you know, all the time. So having a good product that you believe in is, is the first step. And then um, getting forming relationships. You know, I met folks in the industry over a period of years by going to industry conferences and uh, sort of introductions from people in my network. And you know, just getting to sit down with people over a cup of coffee and talk about their businesses and what pain points they were experiencing. And so that type of market research and, and building relationships, I think, was key for, for helping us launch and it's been key to maintaining those relationships now. Well, leading a startup is different than leading a team at an established company because at a startup, every step forward is a new experience for everyone on the team. What advice would you give other entrepreneurs out there that are looking to add new members to their team and grow their company? So adding new team members, you know, I, I think, you know, looking for people that have an appetite for startups is, is key and it's Again, it's um, everybody's different. The same things that make a startup attractive to one person might might really be frustrating to someone else. Um, so we generally look for folks that are um, self-starters, that are comfortable with a bit of uncertainty, um, that are creative thinkers. These sound so general, right? Because everybody wants creative thinkers and self-starters. Um, but for startups, it's, it's you know it's critical. So rather than just asking people, are they self-starters? We look for stories and examples of things they've accomplished or projects they've undertaken that, that kind of demonstrate that rather than just the, um, the easy to spin off, you know, answer about, you know, yes, I'm a self-starter and I like to, you know, I deal well with uncertainty. So we're looking for examples of how that's played out for them either in their um, academic or professional life in the past that we could then uh, potentially apply to what we're doing at Mercaris. That was a great interview. Is there anything you want to tell our audience before you go? Uh, I'd encourage you to check out our website. It's mercaris.com and, um, and reach out to us. We're always looking for talented people to join. Um, we're looking for new ideas. And then if, if you're a part of a food company, uh, a part of an agribusiness firm, um, and are interested in more information about either non-GMO or organic uh, commodities and ingredients, please, please give us a call or send us an email. Kelly, I look forward to seeing your company grow and evolve in the future. Now, if you want to hear more interviews like this, follow the All or Nothing podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Tidal. That's a wrap for this episode of All or Nothing, where we bring to you companies that are here to change the game. And I'm the host, Rodrigo Ballone.